But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So what's he praying? What's his prayer? For years he had been praying this same prayer. God, please give me a son. And so I can imagine that he comes in this room and he puts the incense in a bowl and he lights it. And he's like, God, you know, bring, bring, bring peace to our nation. And please, give me a son. It had been centuries since God had spoken to the nation of Israel. That all changed when a messenger shows up to speak to a priest during the annual prayer duties inside the Holy of Holies. Zechariah received incredible news that he would have a son from his wife of many years. The unbelievable? The old priest's wife was far beyond her childbearing years. According to the angel, their child would herald the greatest turning point in history. You have joined us for message number two entitled Turning Point of the series Luke, the Gospel Truth. This is Faith Life and now, Pastor Chris Bartley. To kind of catch us up, um, we, we, we started going through the book of Luke last week, and, and Jared talked about how we can trust this book of Luke. Um, and it's been proven, he, he talked about how it had been proven to be true and trustworthy um, about his research and, and everything about it. And my favorite line from last week was, was this, certainty about our past will give us an incredible confidence in the future. And, and it's, uh, that is our confidence. And our confidence is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is true. So today, we're going to pick up, we're going to start in Luke uh, 1, 5. So we started verse 5 of the first chapter of the book of Luke. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can get those out and you can follow along and, and, and stuff. But, but we're going to look at this extended passage. Um, it's a narrative passage, so somebody's telling a story. Um, and it really sets the stage for the coming of Jesus. And so this narrative, this story that's being told, Luke did interviews to get all of his sources here for the stories that he would tell, for the things in his book that he wasn't a part of. And they're pretty confident that this story probably came from Mary. And, and so, uh, so, so this is the beginning in Luke's eyes uh, of the gospel story. Luke knows that to get a full picture of the gospel, we must understand the story of John the Baptist because he's the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Um, um, we, we have to, to, to get our minds wrapped around this. Luke is the only author of the four gospels that starts at this point. Um, but to him, after all of his research, after everything he had done, and it had settled in his heart, and he was sure of this, Right? He said, in certainty, uh, uh, he, he knew in his heart that he was sure about this. Uh, this is where it begins. And, and so we pick up in, in Luke 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, king of Judea. And, and so it starts off, right? Today's scripture starts off with Herod, right? Uh, Herod the Great. And we're going to get to hear more about him in the coming weeks, but we've got to get our minds wrapped around him just a little bit to know the context of what all is going on and what is coming and what's happening, right? So he's ruler over Judea, right? And so that includes Jerusalem, 
which is the most important city in, in, the, in the whole Bible. And, and it's still important today. And if you don't believe me, just turn on your news. It's going to be on there. Uh, and and so, so it starts there. He, he was king over, really, Jerusalem was part of that. And so uh, because of that, he was known as the king of the Jews. Herod's a very evil person. Um, he's the worst kind of evil, right? He's ultra-intelligent, extremely devious, and that's the worst combination you can have, especially if you've got any sort of power or control at all. Um, he either murdered or had murdered tons of people. If you stood against him in any way at all, you would just kind of disappear. At some point in his life, he became super paranoid. Um, uh, a lot of people in this kind of position do. I mean, they think people are coming after him. And so he becomes super paranoid. And, and, and because of that, he had his wife killed, two of his sons because he thought they were coming, uh, trying to take over his power. He often would, would send out spies into the streets to see if people were, were talking about him. And, and if they were, they were killed, right? Uh, some accounts say that, that he would even disguise himself and snoop around in the armies, in the ranks of the armies, amongst the generals and, and even the, the rank, and, and around the castles, you know, around his different castles and stuff he would just be in disguise and see if somebody was talking about him also that there wouldn't be an uprising against him and if he even felt that just a little he would have them killed this is the same Herod we will hear about in a few weeks who ordered all of the male babies killed whenever he heard that Jesus was born and he did this because uh, he had heard it said that Jesus would be considered the king of the Jews and he said no there's just one king, and that's me. And so he had all those babies killed. Um, you could say he had issues, right? As far as power and control go, uh, he had one of his many temples built uh, ne next to the temple of God. So you see um, in, in the one side with the smoke coming up, that's the temple of God. And then behind it, you can see kind of a secondary building. That is... Um, the palace of, that's one of his many palaces. And, and so he did it, that way he could control what happened at the temple. He resigned that God would have the spiritual, but he was going to have the money and the power. Um, he would have his people set up selling sacrifices at tables outside the temple. And he had, uh, you know, the, the priest and stuff were, were kind of afraid of him, right? And so he would have those tables set up, and people would come to worship, and they had to bring a sacrifice. And if they didn't buy them from his table to take in, they were considered unworthy, and they would have them marked, and the priest would know. And so he was making money whenever they were coming to do their worship. And this is why, you know, Jesus shows up and flips the tables over. These are Herod's tables that he's flipping over. And he got, Jesus got mad because he had turned worship into a prophet, and so he, you know, he, he, Jesus was mad over that. He's like, these people come to worship and praise God, and, and here you are making a mockery of it. Um, so there's going to be more to come about him, but when Luke tells us that this was the time that Herod was king, um, he's saying everybody was a little on edge, right? Everybody felt that a little bit. Uh, they, they were oppressed, and they lived in fear, and they had this anxiety about them as they were going throughout the day. And so it's important to know that Herod was king, and we were nervous about that. So let's read on. 
a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. At this time, there were about 20,000 male descendants of Levi, and these people were called the priesthood. We think of priests or preachers or whatever you think about our town here in Bible. There's not a lot, but back then, it was a lot. I mean, they had had 20,000 people who would consider themselves the priest, and and there was only one temple, right? Talk about a supply-demand kind of issue, right? Uh, but, but, but because of this, each priest would only serve one week, two times a year. Pretty good job. Yeah. But, 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 but so, so your turn would just come twice a year, and you would just be there a week. Zacharias in Hebrew, um, it, it means God remembers or God does not forget. Thank God that he don't forget, right? I do. I forget sometimes that he's in control. I forget sometimes that, uh, uh, that where my place is and, and where his is, and I try to put me in front of him sometimes. I look in that mirror and I say, you know. Um, David said this in Psalm 103. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And I think that's a reminder for us not to forget all that God has done for us because we have a bad habit of looking to the next and and hoping for the next blessing and looking for the next thing. And and we never look back and remember what he's already done. But God remembers. He remembers all that he's done. And every promise that he's made and, and everything about us, God remembers. If he just did what he's already promised... Uh, that would be more than enough. Do you believe God's going to do what he promised? I mean, it's one thing to believe in God. It's another to believe him, to believe his promises, to believe that his word, and, 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 and to live in that promise, and to live and not, not be pulled by the allure of this world, but live like we've been chosen, and we've been promised a kingdom, that we have eternal life at our grasp. And we believe that that is true, and it's not an empty promise, like somebody who, uh, who, who says, oh, I'll do that, you know, and then they never do. Um, uh, but God delivers. I mean, he is real, his words are true, and let me tell you, that's good news. That's good news today. So his wife um, was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, right? Elizabeth. Uh, Elisheba in Hebrew, right, is her name, and the meaning is, uh, of her name is his oath, or the God of his oath, his promises. So let's just stop for a second and think about this couple, right? Here's two people, and their names together is going to be God remembers his promise. Like, we could end here, sing and go home. God never forgets. He never quits. He remembers his promise. Verse 6. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So to be childless 2,000 years ago was considered a curse, and it was really a social disgrace and was legal grounds for divorce. 
if, if, a, if, if couldn't produce a child, they, the husband could divorce the wife. Uh, but notice that Zacharias did not. I mean, he did not divorce her. And, and he did that because he was not only devoted to God, but he was devoted to her. There was a deep love. Instead of divorcing her, he prayed for her. Um, if you're not praying for your spouse, who on this planet is? Nobody. But this shame of not having a child was brought on because of, of how beautifully the Old Testament writes about children. And, and, and just knowing that they didn't divorce, there's no doubt that they shared this deep love for each other. And in this deep love, they both shared in the grief and the disgrace of, of how their lives probably were lived. And, and, and the situation that was just a shadow that was over them of not having any children. Psalm 127 says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. And how joyful is the man whose quiver is full. So, so what they thought was that God rewards people with children. And if they didn't have children, then they had felt out of favor with God. One rabbi, they you know, said it this way, and it, it kind of came became Jewish tradition of the time. He said that there would be seven different kinds of people that would be excommunicated from the kingdom of God, right? The first one, the top two, the first one was a Jew who would have no wife, and the second one was a Jew who has a wife and no child. And so this kind of permeated the, just the people there, and they believed this deep within them. So you can imagine the ridicule and the grief that they would go through, and, and, and even the kinds of heartfelt prayers that, that they would pray day after day after day. Please, God, give me a reward. I just want a child. And it had not happened. Luke gives us the reason that they didn't have kids, and it's because she was barren. Plus, at this point, like as we know, they, they are, were old, right? Uh, the King James says it this way. They were both well-stricken with years, and I love that, right? They were well-stricken with years. As I start to get well-stricken with years, uh, uh, right, I can tell my body's changing, right? I hurt in places I never thought I could hurt. There's things, I make sounds both as I sit and as I stand, right? I hurt myself one time just sneezing. So I'm there. Right? But years are a gift. And, and, and you can start to see how, how they had probably given up on the thought of even having a child at all. Per se. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, that his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So they would cast lots to see what you would do, because there were 20,000 of them, right? And so they had a whole herd of them would show up, and, and whenever they get there, they would cast lots, and there was two kind of primary ways that this would happen. One way was they would throw dice, and if your number come up, then you got to pick what you wanted to do, or number two, they would draw out of a, a like, like, you know, we do that on Mother's Day sometimes, kind of pull a card out, and if that's your card, like kind of like a lottery, we get that word from this, casting lots, and, and, and so they would pull uh, that out and, and, and to see what capacity that you would serve in. Maybe if you were lucky once in your lifetime, 
Once in your whole entire life, the priest would have, have his lot chosen to take the incense in and place it on the altar before the Lord. So you can just imagine how excited he was to have this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It was his Super Bowl. I mean, like, he's like, I'm never going to get this again. He was old. It had never happened to him. You can imagine how excited he was. So his job was to burn the incense before God. He would go in. There'd be an altar there. He would he'd have a bowl, and he would place the incense in. He'd light the incense. The smoke would come up. He would say a prayer, exit out. That was his job. That's what he had to do. And, and, and the incense would, would fill up that room of the temple. In the book of Revelation, it's describing the, the, the throne room of God. And it says that there's a bowl of incense burning and the smoke will fill the throne room. Right? It fills this room and the incense, there are prayers. You're listening to Faith Life with Pastor Chris Bartley from New Beginnings Fellowship Church in Pikeville, Kentucky. This is message number two of the series, Luke, the Gospel Truth. Let's continue listening as Pastor Chris Bartley takes us further into the exposition of the greatest turning point of all time. So the smoke that fills the room is our prayers, this incense. And when we pray, it ascends to him and it fills his room and it's such a sweet smell. It's beautiful in that place. And he cherishes that. Keep praying. Fill that room up. Keep praying. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And and when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. I would say so. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So what's he praying? What's his prayer? For years he had been praying this same prayer. God, please give me a son. And so I can imagine that he comes in this room, and he puts the incense in a bowl, and he lights it. And he's like, God, you know, bring, bring, bring peace to our nation, and please give me a son. And so it was this deep prayer, and I think this is a great reminder for persistent prayers. He was old, and he never gave up. He was probably still praying, oh, Lord, I would love to have a son. But he never quit praying that prayer, even when he was old, and it made zero sense to even dream of that. What have you stopped praying about? What's that situation? What, what have you stopped praying about? He, he prayed for years, for decades, and he never gave up. Outside of human thinking that they could have a child, and he didn't quit. Don't quit praying about that person, that thing, that situation. Don't, don't quit. So he told him, name him John, right? And so, so John means God is gracious or God brings grace. And, and so the Old Testament lived by the law, right? But, but, but John had come to introduce Jesus. He's going to make a way. He's going to introduce Jesus and he's going to bring about his grace. 
and you'll have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Remember the king, right? Herod the Great, right? Uh, so this angel comes and says, he's really not great at all. Like, he's going to have more money, he's going to have more buildings, he's going to have more followers, he's going to have all these things that the world says, uh, but but he's not going to be great uh, because he's not going to give his life to humbly serving God. But John will, and that's that's why he says, that's why he says, you will be, you know, he will be great in the sight of God. Um, He's not saying having all those things are bad, he's just saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? So Jesus said this about John, we're talking about him being great. He said, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is none, there is not one greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he is the least in the kingdom of God, is greater than he. Right? So the last shall be first, right? John said this, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you with whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. So John knew that no matter how great that he would be considered, no matter how much good he could ever do, he was nothing compared to Jesus. I think in our heads, or at least in my head, I can get puffed up about some of the things that are going on. But, but this is the guy that Jesus says was the greatest born of women. I mean, that, that includes all of us and everybody else who's ever been born, right? And so he says he is the greatest. And, and here you see John understanding his role, I mean, uh, uh, his place and what the measure of greatness really will look like. See, don't let greatness in your mind be defined by the world or the people in your life. God uses a different kind of economy. When it comes to measuring things, uh, uh, to be great means are you serving him? Are you humbly serving God? So be great in the sight of God. That's my prayer. It's my prayer for me, my prayer for my wife, for my family, for the youth, for you guys. I pray, I pray that, that, that we are great in the sight of God, and we are that because we are humbly serving him. And he would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the book of Luke is the most natural segue from the Old Testament to the New um, simply because of these verses that are on this screen. This is the one that bridges that, 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 that gap. See, the Old Testament closes with a promise in the book of Malachi. Um, and Luke opens with the same promise. In the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, the last two verses in the whole, entire Old Testament say this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Least I come to strike the earth with a curse. And so those are the entire last words of the Old Testament. And and, and that's the last time 
that people will hear from heaven until this, this encounter with this angel. And, and, and so uh, uh, here in this temple with his priest, whose name is God, don't forget. Right? So between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are 400 years of silence from God. And God had said nothing uh, since the close of Malachi. And so for 400 years, there was, there was nothing. But these weren't inactive years. They were just silence from God. Um, a few of the activities that happened in these 400 years, because a lot did happen. Um, and, and all this is to set the stage for the coming of a king. And I think we've got to wrap our heads around this. Um, at the close of the Old Testament, Persia was the superpower of the world. And then when the New Testament opens, it's Rome. Rome's in charge. Uh, in the Old Testament, they read um, Hebrew scriptures. But in the New Testament, they were reading the Septuagint or the Greek scriptures. Right? So a lot has happened. And, and they've not just heard from God. Um, there's things that are going on. So one last thing, and then we're going to go on. Right? Uh, the last word of the Old Testament is curse, right? That's the very last word in the Old Testament. And so if you go to the last chapter of the New Testament in Revelations, it says this in Revelation 22. It says, no longer will there be any more curse. And then the last verse of, of Revelation is this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you all. Amen. So how do you get from curse... To grace. Jesus. Right? You have to insert Jesus. So the gospel is all about grace. Getting something, right? Forgiveness that we don't deserve. Um, it's grace. So this angel has just delivered the most exciting news that Zechariah could ever dream of. Right? He's going to have a baby. Right? So let's see what happens. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. I bet he didn't tell it to her face, right? But this is one of the most odd scriptures in the whole Bible for me, right? He, he's, he's getting a message from an angel standing there in front of him, and he says, How do I know this? Right? He, he had prayed and prayed and prayed, and now he was old. And, and so it's probably, probably his prayers had just become just a small glimmer of hope. But, but, but he says, how do I know this? He, he couldn't just not say anything, right? And the women say, it's just like a man. Uh, but, but, but he questioned everything, right? And, and we have a tendency to do that, right? The Bible tells us, you know, your sins are forgiven. And we say, how do I know that? Like we take God at his word because what he says is true and just. I know I'm old. She's not young either. But in reality, they were probably well over 60 years old. They were probably 70 years old, somewhere in there, right? And, 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 and it's starting to feel like a promise um, that was made to Abraham and Sarah. Right? Barren. God says, I'm going to do it, even when everything else says you can't. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. 
And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. So now, uh, in, in, the, in the length of the Bible, we have the names of two angels, only two, right? Michael, the archangel, and then now here is Gabriel, right? And we had, like in the Old Testament, they'd heard from Gabriel one other time, and that's in the book of Daniel. And he comes to Daniel, and he gives him this news of a coming Messiah. Right, and he really, he just lays out this timeline of how the Messiah would come. And now here he is, 500 years later, doing it again. Um, but he says, uh, you want to know how I can prove this? Is that what, that what you're asking me? Like, I'm probably stunned, right? Uh, he says, first off, I'm an angel. <laughs> I mean... But I was just in the presence of God, and, and, and he said, you prayed this prayer, and he told me, come tell you that this prayer would be fulfilled, and so I come, and I tell you, I stepped out of nothing, and I'm right here, and you're saying, how can this be? Uh, it's a good thing that God's work doesn't count on us, right? Because it can be very obvious that God's at work, and we'd be like, can you believe that? How on earth did this happen? That is not a way on earth. It's only a way through the Lord. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. It's very interesting that God didn't speak for 400 years, and when he finally did, he told it to a man who couldn't speak for nine more months. Uh, and I think about this whole situation and how he would come out and the people were expecting like something right and and he couldn't speak they probably were confused and angry Uh, but but it's funny how we put such great importance on our faith when it comes to God's work it's like God can't work if we don't have enough faith if you just believe then it will come true right we've probably heard that but, but here the angel tells him that, that he didn't believe, like you don't believe, but then the miracle still happens. So whether you believe or not, God is going to work. We act like God's work depends on us, but, but if God's going to move, he's going to do it in spite of us. And, and this should bring us comfort because uh, I would hate to think that the work of God depended on me and, and not on him. Because I am weak, but he is strong. He wants us to do our part. And and he calls us to do our part and to step up and to do what what we're called to do. Um, But that's really for our benefit. Is it better to give than to receive? And if you've ever went and and give or served in a a real capacity, uh, then you know what what he's talking about here. but even more, if we don't do what God's placed in front of us or, or, or he's given us the opportunity to do, then he's going to raise somebody else up to do it, and we're going to miss out on the blessing. Thank God that he is God, and I am not. Right? And so this section finishes up. And the people waited for Zechariah and then marveled that he had lingered so long in the temple but, but when he come out, he could not speak to them. And, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and, and remained speechless. 
So the people would wait outside while, while he would go in to, to light the incense, right? And they'd be on their knees praying in this posture of worship while the priest went um, in, in the place, uh, you know, and, and he's going to burn these incense. And then the priest would usually reemerge after just a short time. I mean, literally, he would go in, put the incense in, light it, say his prayer, and then go out. It's like just a few minutes. Uh, but, but as they would reemerge from this, from this room, he would give them the blessing of Aaron, right? From number six, right? Uh, uh, I remember Reed's boys saying this in prayers whenever they were young. But they'd say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. They waited, and they waited, and, and, and it was a long, long time. And, and, and when he finally come out, he couldn't even speak, so they knew something had happened. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. She hid herself for five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. That's what this is all about. That's what this whole story is about right here. And it's the coming of Jesus to take away our sin and our shame. Right? Jesus died on the cross, and then he rose again, conquering death and sin. And he did that for us. And he takes our sins, but he also takes our shame. Elizabeth had lived a long life of disgrace. Everywhere she went, they would say something. And make fun of her. When she went to gather the water, the women, right? She ain't got no kid, you know? And, and, and so the Lord has surely shunned her. And, and, and so, so she had lived a, a long, hard full life full of these condescending, self-righteous, religious kind of judgments. Some of them would even say she was cursed by God. Um, but instead, God's getting ready to use her. One translation, it says that God took away her shame. How do we do that? How do we get through life when it gets hard, when we feel alone, when we've made a mess of things, when a mess that we've been through has brought shame, you know, right? Maybe people said, well, I'm ashamed of you, you know, or your whole family, whole family, your disgrace of the whole family, you know, how do we make it through those times? We do it like this. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy that's awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. He did that for us. He did that for you. He did that for me. He did that for us. And, and, and this story here is about Jesus and what he come to do. Everything that, that he come to do. Uh, this is the turning point of all of history. If you're here and you're like Zechariah, you've had doubts questions, going through the motions. Maybe, maybe you've sinned. I don't know. Maybe you're living in sin. I don't know. Jesus come to take care of that. 
if you're here today and you're like Elizabeth, right? And you've been sinned against, right? People have said stuff. People have pushed you. Maybe, maybe um, you have shame. I don't know. You've been lied to, cheated on. Maybe, maybe you've been made an outcast because of something. I don't know. And you've carried this around. You've carried it around weeks, months, years, decades. Jesus come for you too. He came to take care of that. For those last few months while Elizabeth was, was in seclusion, most scholars say that she rejoiced and praised God the entire time. And that's where we want to be. That's where I want you to be. That's where I want to be. Jesus said, I come so you can live. And, and, and what he's saying is that I know that you're tired. I know you're tired of existing. Just exist. I know you've been beat up. But I want you to live this abundant life. This life that's not dependent on, on things or people of this world. Jesus says, I've got something better I want to offer you. And this that I have for you is something eternal. So if this is you. The story gives you hope. It offers freedom. We're going we're gonna to sing a song, right? If you want to come up here and pray, this is a safe place. We've got elders and deacons and there's other people in this room that would come and pray with you. As a church, we want to walk with you because this is an offer that Jesus has made. I want you to have life to the fullest. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Faith Life. Faith Life is a ministry of New Beginnings Fellowship Church located in Pikeville, Kentucky. You can find us on the web at www.nbfc.church or look for us on Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to Faith Life Podcast on your favorite podcasting platforms and download each weekly episode. And join us next week as Pastor Jared Arnett delivers the third message in our series titled Overwhelmed Underqualified. Again, thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week as we walk the faith line.